Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Are you ready for some football? Well, Walters is, and Walters has all of the games for you all weekend long. Reservations are limited and can be found on all Walters social media channels. Walk-ins will also be available, but will be on a first-come, first-serve basis. So don't get left out and make your reservation today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the wind of the 3-1. Swung on, hit high in the air to deep right center field. Way back. Going, going, gone. Goodbye. A tremendous home run landing in the second deck in section 242 in right center field. Bang. Zoom goes the Z-Man. That bonus is Benny's the all-time home run leader in Washington baseball history. A 442-foot blast. Now the set. Williams kicks and delivers. Thomas takes. Low and away. Ball four. And another run is walked across the plate. Thomas will pick up his 18th run batted in the year as Ruiz walks home from third. Now the pitch. Swing and a drive. Right center field. That's going to be one up. A base hit in front of Brinson. Holding it first. Single to center. RBI for Soto. Nationals lead at 8-2. to two. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, September 15, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. There was no flirtation with the Nationals being no hit on Tuesday night. The boys hit and then some in what ended up being an 8-2 win over the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park in Game 2 of a three-game series. Eight runs, 14 hits, six walks. Ryan Zimmerman hit a shot to the moon. The offense... It turns out was silenced on Monday night, yes, but Tuesday night back to what has become a pretty normal thing, which is the Nationals hitting and the Nationals on Tuesday night enjoy a pretty easy, breezy victory, Mark. We haven't had many this season. We get one, though, on Tuesday night. It's kind of nice for a change, isn't it? Just to have that where now, now let's be honest, there's a few moments there where it looks like they're going to have to protect a 4-2 lead late. And Austin Voth is coming in for the eighth and then maybe Finnegan for the ninth. And you're, you know, feeling a little uneasy. And then uh, they took care of business in the eighth with some help from the Miami bullpen, which was pretty atrocious late in this game and allowed them to score four tack on runs. And that was that. But you'll take as many of these as you can get right now. A nice, tidy game where Eric Fetty pitches well, where they hit well, where the bullpen has a nice and simple night and where the face of the franchise still shows that he's got a little left in that bat of his. Yeah, and how about that home run? Bottom of the second inning, a one-out, 
opposite field upper deck solo homer to right center field off Marlins starter and former Nats prospect Jesus Lizardo for a one nothing Nats lead. The home run going a projected 442 feet per stat cast. Ryan Zimmerman in his age 36 season and what may be the final days for him as a national, the final days of his major league career, we do not know, goes oppo, upper deck, 442. Not bad. He still got it. And he especially has it against lefties, against whom he's slugging over 600 now, by the way, for the season. And that was his longest home run in three years. And it was, according to, uh, I forget what the MLB stat account was that, that put this out there, but they said it was the longest opposite field home run by any national since StatCast began in 2015. So that tells you a little something there. The only right-handed hitters that I could remember hitting a ball like that in nationals history were Michael Morse. And I thought that Elijah Dukes might have done it once, although a reader on Twitter showed me video of uh, Dukes's couple of home runs that he hit towards center, right center field, and they didn't ma- reach the second deck. So maybe Michael Morse is the only one who's reached the second deck as a right-handed hitter there. So look, Ryan Zimmerman still got it. And I think as we've talked about, especially in the role that he's in, and when you have him matched up against lefties, he can still do this for you. His, he's slugging basically at his career norm right now this year. I think he's finishing strong because he's healthy. He feels fresh having not played nearly as much this year. And I do think it raises an interesting question. He wasn't ready to answer it yet. Uh, he said it's going to probably not be till after the season that he decides. Decision that'll be made in the offseason. I'll sit down with my family and kind of see where we're at. But like I've kind of speculated all, all along, I think he believes he can keep playing. It's just a matter of does he want to, given the situation the team is going to be in. Yeah, and uh, we'll see what that ends up being. I'm not sure. I think the team has what it wants the situation to be, which is the team being good sooner rather than later. But I think something that needs to be understood with that is it may not be up to the Nationals whether they're good sooner rather than later. If these young potential building blocks don't pan out sooner rather than later, then the Nationals are going to have no choice but to be bad for a while. And I think that's what's so tricky here. If you're Zimmerman, you know, you try to read the tea leaves on, okay, are the Nationals going to be good or not in 2022? I don't know that the Nationals are going to know whether they're going to be good or not in 2022. Now, maybe you can get a sense of what the offseason plan is. You know, that would make some sense. But yeah, I mean, Zim can still hit for power. We've seen that this season. There have been those usual Ryan Zimmerman ebb and flows. But Zimmerman, you mentioned the slugging against lefties. The slugging overall for the year is at 483, which is more than respectable. 14 home runs for him on the year. You know something, too, about Ryan Zimmerman, which I don't know is always appreciated? He is a big guy. And I remember when the Nationals were making that charge to the 2019 World Series Championship, and you would see those post-game press conferences with everybody, you know, sitting down. You really got a sense of, like, who's big and who isn't. Like, I gained a greater appreciation for Steven Strasburg. He's built like a truck. You know, you don't realize that necessarily. Like, Scherzer's a smaller guy, right? Strasburg isn't. And Zimmerman's like a horse. He's listed as being 6'3", 215. Josh Bell and Riley Adams are probably the two biggest Nationals position players, but Zimmerman might be number three. Like, he's a big dude. So it's, I guess it's not that surprising that he's still hitting for this kind of power. Yeah, you're right. I think we probably tend to forget that about him. He is a big, strong man. He is a good athlete and has been for a long time, and he takes care of himself. Whatever issues he's had has not been for lack of effort on his part try to keep his body healthy. They've been the wear and tear kind of stuff, not the, oh, well, he's out of shape and therefore he got hurt. 
kind of thing. He's never been out of shape. So that's not a problem. But it does kind of tie in with ultimately his decision. I pressed him on it a little bit after the game. And, you know, I I told him I wasn't expecting him to make some kind of major declaration right here on this night. But, you know, how do those factors kind of come into his mind and how does he decide when? And he pointed out that really the toughest part of this is the off-season work that he has to do to get his body ready by the time he shows up for spring training. It would depend on how I feel after the season, depend on how I feel December 1st, honestly, if I want to start start working out and getting getting ready to prepare to be productive for another major league season. I think that's the hardest part is the, is the off-season preparation and, and making sure you know, for the two months, two and a half months before you go to camp that you're doing something four or five days a week. I mean, camp and, and the games and the season is the easy part. It's putting in the work that it takes to, to be productive before that. But as he pointed out, the way this has worked out this year, the plan to play him when he has, he thinks it's worked out extremely well. I know obviously it hasn't worked out for the team record-wise, but on a personal level, this has gone exactly how he and the team hoped, and that maybe does provide a roadmap for how they could continue like this, maybe not just for one more year, but even beyond that potentially. You can always follow the Nats Chat podcast on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. We ran a poll. The poll question was, would you like to see Ryan Zimmerman return to the Nats for the 2022 season, there were three options, a simple yes, a simple no, and then option three is only if the NL has the DH. That would be my personal choice. I would select that. If the NL has the DH, I'm open to Zimmerman being back. Otherwise, I think it's probably the best in terms of baseball decision-making for the Nationals and Zimmerman to say thank you very much. But the poll results are 61% saying yes, 11.6% saying no, 27.3% saying only if the NL has the DH. So you're looking at, what, 88.3% of the respondents saying yes in some form or fashion, a very small minority saying no. I don't think that's very surprising. But look, everyone knows he is supremely popular, even to this day. And as the season winds down here, and as we reach the final home games, even without knowing what Zimmerman's plan is going to be, Whatever ends up being his final plate appearance is going to be an emotional moment. Fans are going to go crazy for him, and they should. He deserves it. Yeah, and I think as he hinted at here, we may not officially know that it is his last one. So that could make it a little bit interesting on, uh, the. I assume, the final day of the season. He'll get at least one at bat against the Red Sox. Yeah, I'll be interested. What is that last homestand like? I mean, we're down to the wire here. They've got one more with the Marlins three with the uh, Rockies this weekend, then they go on the road for a while, and then they just come back for three against the Red Sox. So there are only seven more home games on the schedule. Time is running out (laughs) for uh, fans to maybe see Ryan Zimmerman, not just this year, but maybe forever. And I don't know, obviously the fans love him, and I can understand why they overwhelmingly want him to return. And as he's pointed out, there's a lot of factors at play here. But deep down in the end, I do believe that he knows he can still play. And that may make it a tougher decision than you would think. There's a lot of reasons to pull him in a direction of retirement, but no player ever wants to walk away if they feel like they can still play. That's a tough thing to ask a guy to do. I think it's a fascinating dilemma for him and his family after the season is over for him to decide, would he walk away feeling like he can still contribute? Because obviously he's shown that he can still contribute. Yeah, I mean, you can flip that and say you go out with your head held high instead of going out with a bad last season, a last season in which, you know, it looks like you're done, you're shot. Like you can go out saying, hey, I exited on my terms and I exited 
having had a nice year. You know, you could also do the thing of he's retired for now, but should the Nats need him, you know, he's on retainer for next year. And you can make this like a Roger Clemens Houston Astros situation where Mike Rizzo makes the phone call in the middle of July and says, Ryan, come on board, buddy, and let's get uh, back on the horse here. So all kinds of options here with Ryan Zimmerman. So we'll see. The Michael Jordan press release, I'm back. I'm back. Simple as that. From Ryan Zimmerman. Okay. Something tells me that's not his personality. I don't see that one happen. You don't think that would happen? All right. You never know. You never know. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who is as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So, whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lazardo to the belt, the left hander to the plate. Swinging a broken bat looper right side, base hit through the hole. Headed for the plate is Thomas. Sanchez up throwing, coming home, and it is too high. He airmails everybody. The ball off the backstop, caroms away. Soto's going to go to second and now to third as Lazardo finally picks it up right by the first base side dugout. So the Nationals lead 2 to nothing on the RBI single for Juan Soto. Well, Ryan Zimmerman with the highlight of the night with that home run, but he was far from the only National who stood out offensively in this game. Juan Soto is making a charge for the National League batting title. Now, he's got the on-base percentage title basically locked up. It would take a really precipitous fall for him not to end up winning that. But when it comes to the National League batting title, not the Major League batting title, but the National League batting title, Juan Soto is very much in the conversation now. He is having so many games here lately in which he gets on base, you know, two, three, four times, and he has multiple hits, and he has another one of these games on Tuesday night. Three for four with two RBI singles, another single, and an intentional walk. A bottom of the third, a two-out full count, RBI single to right field for a 2 nothing Nats lead. In the Nats two-run fifth, he drew a one-out intentional walk. In the bottom of the seventh, Soto, a one-out single on a well-struck ball that was too hot to handle for Marlins second baseman Eddie Alvarez. And then Soto in the Nats four-run eighth inning, a one-out RBI single to center field for an 8-2 Nats lead. We are back into one of these runs in which Soto isn't hitting for very much power, but the batting average continues to climb. I mean, we've sung the praises beyond base percentage a ton. Juan Soto, as we record this installment of the Nats Chat podcast, has a 313 batting average on the season. That's three percentage points off the National League lead of, yeah, Trey Turner, who is in position to win the National League batting crown. He's batting 316. Nick Castellanos, is at 314, and then Soto's in third place at 313. Like I said, the on-base percentage title is, you know, his to lose, and then some 457 now is Juan Soto's major league leading on-base percentage. But he just continues to get on base, continues to do things every night in which he's on base multiple times. And it's not just about the on-base percentage anymore. He may find himself winning two-thirds of the uh, slash line triple crown at the end of the season in the National League. We'll see. Yeah. So how interesting would that be if it's Soto versus Turner down to the wire? That could be quite an interesting final weekend. Here's what has occurred to me is a reason why he is now in that discussion for, by the way, it would be his second straight batting title because he won it last year. And that is all the walks he draws is reducing the number of at-bats. And so a lot of times he's going like one for two with two walks. Well, that helps your batting average. The fewer at-bats, we're not talking about plate appearances here, we're talking about at-bats, that helps the batting average go up. It's an interesting dynamic where almost counterintuitively in your head, all the walks that he draws is actually going to help him finish with a higher batting average. But he is putting it all together now, and this was the 20th game this year in which he has reached base four times. That is most in the majors, and it's most by any major leaguer since Mookie Betts in 2018. And again, we still have, what, 17 games to go. He is absolutely finishing on fire, and I can't wait to see what the final numbers are because I don't want to put any limits on it yet. I still think there's a lot more in there for him and, and more ground for him to gain before this is over. 
It's been a national season in which so many things we thought would be the case ended up not being the case. And, you know, most of those things have been things that we thought would be good that ended up being bad. But in this case, something that we thought would be bad has ended up being good. And that is, you know, the sell-off happens in late July. He has gotten pitches to hit. You know, he's he's figured out ways to still get hits. Like the thing of he was going to go into this, uh, you know, like that Bryce Harper Cubs mode where like it's just nothing but walks and like he never gets any hits. It really hasn't happened. To his credit, he takes advantage of the hittable pitches that he sees. And like every game, he's finding himself on base, you know, a bunch of times. So he is the best hitter on the planet. He continues to validate that. Another tremendous performance for Soto on Tuesday night. We had another productive game for the lane train on Tuesday night. Lane Thomas added again, two for four with a double, a single handed RBI walk. Uh, Thomas in the Nats, one run third, a one out double to left field. Thomas in the Nats, two run fifth, a one out first pitch single to left field. Thomas in the Nats four-run eighth inning, a bases loaded five-pitch walk for a 6-2 Nats lead. Lane Thomas now 120 major league plate appearances with the Nats, batting average at 301, on base percentage at 392, slugging percentage at 524. So you know when there is a big-time presidential election, you know, gubernatorial election, whatever it is, you say, okay, when can we call the election? At what point can we call the issue of whether Lane Thomas is the national center fielder and leadoff batter for next season. Like, to me, we're getting closer and closer to just saying, this guy's going to be holding that spot at least going into next season. Who knows what happens next year? But he continues to produce. I mean, at some point, you got to say, we call it. It's over. It's done. Lane Thomas has clinched victory in securing that uh, everyday center field job and everyday leadoff job for the Nationals next year. Yeah, look, I know everyone wants to do that, and I'm not quite there yet. And I'm going to give you one of the reasons why. And our friend Todd Dibus mentioned this uh, to me the other day when I put out what Thomas's numbers are this month. I mean, they're fantastic, like you just said. And he remembered a guy by the name of Matt Dendecker, who was a late season addition for them, came from the Mets in 2015. And Dendecker in September of 2015 had a slash line of 298, 353, 596 slugging. Now, he wasn't playing as much as Thomas is. He certainly wasn't their everyday leadoff center fielder, anything like that. But it was enough that you said, oh, maybe they have something here. And Matt Dendecker never really amounted to much of anything for them. So I think you have to give opposing pitchers at least enough time to start to get a book on him and make some adjustments and now see, can he make the adjustments against them? Now, all that said, he has done everything you could ask of him so far. And it's been fantastic. And it has been such a godsend, especially given Victor Robles' struggles, that they're now in this position. Clearly, no matter what happens the rest of the way, he is going to be in the mix for a starting job next year. But I'm not quite ready to say that I think it's a lock that he goes into next season as the starting center fielder. I want to see him finish the year. And I want to see how teams start to pitch him and if they do find any holes in his swing. Because you got to think there's something there that they just haven't exploited yet. All right. So here's my counterpoint to what you and Mr. Divas have said. And all due respect to Todd Divas, great guy, smart guy, would just say a few things. Number one, uh, and you kind of just mentioned this, Lane Thomas already has more plate appearances than Den Decker had that year. So it's already a larger sample size. Number two, September now is different than September back then because you don't have all of the call-ups. So you're not necessarily facing a bunch of AAA guys like you might have been in seasons past. And number three, this predates September. Like, this isn't just a September thing with Lane Thomas. So, I mean, I hear you, right? Like, you can't just say he's your center fielder for the next decade. I recognize that. But I think, like, at some point, you do reach a point where 
all right, like we got to see more next year. Like you can't just be like, well, he's just a, a fourth outfielder and, and nothing more. I think at some point you get to that point. Now, I don't know that we're there yet. Maybe you need another week or two, but there's been a remarkable consistency. He's not just doing this against bad teams. I mean, the Marlins are a bad team, but it hasn't just been against bad teams. I know he's got some of the base running concerns. I think he plays a pretty good center field. I, I don't see him not being good defensively. I mean, is he Robles? Probably not, but not many people are. Uh, I don't know. This has been a really stunning development to me that the Nationals may have kind of stumbled into someone who maybe is a starting caliber outfielder in the majors. Yeah, look, it may turn out this is one of the greatest trades of all time, and he is their center fielder for quite a while. I just don't know yet. I'm trying to be a little bit cautious because, like I said, I've been fooled a little bit before late season with guys. And you're right on all those points. September is a little different now. He's been doing it since you know mid-August, whenever it was that he was called up. He's certainly done everything in his power to make the case. There's no question about that. It's not like there's something that he could have done differently aside from maybe a couple base running blunders. And they're going to keep putting him out there. There's no reason not to and see what there is. But just, you know, like relievers, like some of these other young guys, I want to be careful about reading too much into what we're seeing right now. It may not quite be enough yet, both in good and bad ways. You know, like Cabert Ruiz has been pretty underwhelming, like we've talked about so far. I don't want to read too much into that. I don't want to read too much into Josiah Gray's handful of bad starts that he's had. We really do need to see more of a body of work, especially from younger players who are still learning on the job and see how other teams react to them, because I think that's a big part of the process. Anybody can have a good debut month. It's can you then maintain it for several months after that once you really become a full-time big leaguer. All right. The race is too close to call. Stay tuned throughout the night. We'll update you on the proceedings. Well, you mentioned K-Bet Ruiz, a.k.a. Jason Kendall. He had three infield singles on Tuesday night. Ruiz will get another hit without hitting the ball out of the infield. He's three for four in the game. Well, he had never had a two-hit game in the big leagues. Now he's had a three-hit game, and he has three infield hits (laughs) for a guy who's not very fast. I mean, baseball is a beautiful thing in so many ways, but one of them is you just never know. I mean, who would ever expect that, that K-Bet Ruiz is going to have three infield singles in this game on Wednesday night, and yet that is precisely what ends up happening. I mean, he's not known as like some speed demon of a catcher, and he obviously has not hit very well, but good for him for getting three singles and getting three infield singles like that. That was bizarre, but that was good. I love the Jason Kendall reference. That's fantastic. Maybe Ruiz should be hitting leadoff for them, (laughs) like Kendall used to do for the Pirates. The one thing I'll say here is, and this is where I will give him some credit for it, while he hasn't looked great at all at the plate, the one thing he's doing is making contact. He's not striking out. He's not swinging and missing. He doesn't look lost up there at all. He is an excellent bat-to-ball hitter, which was his reputation coming in. He's just popping up a lot and then sitting some grounders. Like He's just not hitting a lot of line drives. But if he's doing that, like that's a great starting point. If you're just making contact, and in this case, it resulted in three infield singles, if you're consistently doing that, to me, it's just a matter of time before those start turning into line drives and hits for you, as opposed to somebody who is swinging at pitches out of the zone, who's flailing away at breaking balls that aren't even close or can't catch up to a fastball, that kind of stuff. So you can see that the skills are there. He's just trying to get the timing down and get it all perfected. And hopefully here within you know the next two and a half weeks before the season is over, we will see him start to put it all together. All right, a few more notes on the Nationals offense. Two more walks for Josh Bell. He goes 0 for 3, but he draws two walks, including an RBI walk uh, in that Nats. Two-run fifth, Bell, a one-out six-pitch, bases-loaded walk 
for a 4-1 Nats lead despite having been down to the count at one point, 1-2. I've noted this. Josh Bell is walking a lot more lately. So how about this? Josh Bell now on the season has 52 walks, 26 of the 52 walks. So 50% of his walks this season have come since the start of August. So he, over the last two months, has accumulated half of all of the walks he's accumulated on the year, just to, you know, kind of further verify what we're seeing here, which is Josh Bell is doing a much better job in terms of pitch selection and getting on base. And he has two more walks in this game on Tuesday night. Two singles for Luis Garcia as well in this game. Bottom of the sixth, a single on a one-two pitch. And then in that Nationals four-run eighth inning, an opposite field single to left field on an 0-2 pitch to load the bases. This was another game in which like up and down the lineup, you got contributions. And that's been the case for weeks now with the Nationals offense. It's not one or two people, even though you have, you know, someone like Soto who's on fire. It's like throughout the lineup, you're seeing guys contribute and produce. Yeah. And that's, I think, what's made a lot of these uh, overall performances work is that, you know, even the other night when they, they scored a bunch in Soto, like had nothing to do with it. Like they actually have that ability. I think Bell has been a big part of it. But Thomas at the top, Escobar behind him, and even the bottom half of the lineup, maybe not as consistently as you'd like, but Keeboom, Ruiz, and Garcia have all had their moments, and Adams when he catches as well. And so, yeah, there is a lot to like there, and it does kind of create an interesting question of going into the offseason of like, where offensively are you trying to improve? I don't think they're just going to go forward with these eight that we're seeing right now as their everyday starting eight. But where do you go? Is it left field? Is it shortstop? Is it third base? Is it center field? There's a lot of different ways they could go here. And I'm not entirely sure what the answer to that is going to be. Maybe it's good that you have some options and that you don't go into this offseason and say, well, you know, like last year, oh, we have to get a first baseman or we, we, we have to get a left fielder, whatever that might be. That's not a bad position to be in, actually. For a team that's in complete rebuilding mode, you wouldn't necessarily think that that would be the way it would be. Yeah, it's a unique spot because they don't have to do anything, but you could argue for them almost doing anything, you know, with the exception, I guess, of like right field and maybe one or two other spots. It's like you could actually make a case for a lot of things, but if they don't do any of those things, it's also not the end of the world. Like they do a viable option. So in that regard, the Nationals are well positioned. Nats Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season. For Saison and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park and make sure you stop by Silver Branch located in Metro Plaza just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Hey Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. 
with promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more. The time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code chat games on Wednesday afternoon include the Milwaukee Brewers at the Detroit Tigers at 110. Starting for Milwaukee, Brandon Woodruff, the National League Cy Young Award contender, has an ERA of 248 on the season. Milwaukee is the play against the Lowly Tigers. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Now the set by Fetty. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with the elevated cutter. Second time he fans. Alvarez, eighth strikeout for Fetty. The national starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Eric Fetty. If only every game for Fetty was against the Miami Marlins. He'd be a Cy Young candidate. Unfortunately, we're not there yet in terms of the uh, MLB schedule to where the Nationals will play the Miami Marlins every game. Maybe somewhere, uh, someday we get to that point, but we're not there yet. But Fetty looked good, although it it ends up being an odd outing because he doesn't last for long. One run in five innings. That's it. He only lasted for five innings, but he only gives up the one run. He has eight strikeouts versus no walks. He gives up just three hits, a homer, and two singles. The problem is he threw a bunch of pitches over the five innings, 95 pitches over the five innings, 61 strikes versus 34 balls. He retired 13 of the 14 batters he faced to begin the game, tossed four scoreless innings to begin the game, then gave up the run in the top of the fifth on a uh, full count leadoff homer by Lewin Diaz to right field, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. That was a good looking shot by Diaz. The home run going up 410 feet for StatCast. But that was like basically the only mistake Fetty made. He just wasn't very pitch efficient in large part because he had a bunch of strikeouts. And so he ended up getting pulled after five innings. Yeah, there were a lot of long at bats. So the first inning, he faced four hitters and threw 24 pitches. So that's six per hitter. That's a little too much. And he knew it. And it's a small nitpick on a night when otherwise he was very good. But for him to be really as effective as he could have been, you got to get outs a little quicker. You got to put away hitters just a little quicker. There were a lot of foul balls, but just a lot of three-two counts. He just wasn't quite finishing it off. 
Now, he's had a ton of success against the Marlins. 0.98 ERA coming into this one in five career starts. It actually goes up to 1.10. Even though he gave up one run in five innings, that makes his ERA go up, which tells you how, just how good he's been. And I do think there's a, a certain confidence that he's got to have facing them, knowing you've had success in the past. Remember, he had his career-high 10 strikeout game against them just a few weeks ago. So that's got to be, obviously, it's a good matchup for him. They seem very vulnerable to his curveball and his cutter. Uh, and he was able to exploit that again against him. But, you know, good. He he needs some of these confidence boosters, obviously, and try to finish the year out strong. He may get to face them one more time next week on the road, and that may help him, you know, make those numbers look a little better at the end of the season. Maybe that's Fetty's role moving forward. You know, you just throw him against the Marlins, and don't worry about the other teams in the National League East. And, you know, maybe we finally identified the proper usage of Eric Fetty. I will say this, you know, he's had a good number of high strikeout games this year. His strikeouts per nine innings on the season at a career high, 885. So look, it's not been a good year for him, but he has had a decent number of strikeouts and he obviously has a decent number of strikeouts in this game on Tuesday night. It was a good night for the Nationals bullpen. Four relievers combined to allow one run in four innings with six strikeouts. Alberto Baldonado, a perfect top of the six. Andres Machado does allow a run in the top of the seventh on a leadoff homer by Lewin Diaz on uh, what was his second leadoff homer of the game. Machado then issued a hit by pitch of Alex Jackson, but Machado then recorded back-to-back strikeouts in recording three consecutive outs. Then Austin Voth, a perfect top of the eighth with two strikeouts. And then Wander Suero, a perfect top of the ninth with two strikeouts. I mean, a very quick top of the ninth inning. You never know what to expect with Suero. I mean, you really never know what to expect with both, but uh, each guy looks good. Look, the Marlins are a terrible hitting team, but the bullpen gets the job done on this night as well. And an 8-2 lead going into the ninth helps a lot, as opposed to when it was 4-2 and Finnegan was warming instead. So that was a nice opportunity uh, for Tim Bogar, who was filling in again for David Martinez, who had a another procedure on his ankle, kind of a follow-up procedure. But the good news is he got a smaller cast and should be able to move around a little bit better now, but he wasn't quite ready to uh, join them in the dugout. But I think uh, Bogart had to be relieved to not have to use Finnegan in this game. That's a nice position to be in because they haven't been in that a lot of times here lately. So was Davey at the ballpark? Yeah, my understanding is he was back in his office. He had the procedure. He came back in the afternoon. I think he was still recovering from it and just wasn't quite feeling ready yet. It was up in the air until a little before game time. They thought maybe there was a chance he'd be good to go, but I think it just was uh, not really in a position yet to be able to do that. And as far as I can tell, Bogar fully managed the game. Davey was not seen in the dugout, but I believe he was in his office the whole time. And he is expected to be back at full strength here on Wednesday. So that's interesting. So Davey is there, but he's has to, he's watching the game in his office. That's got to be maddening for him, right? You're so used to being in the thick of the action and you're st- you're stuck in your office, I'm guessing with his leg propped up, right? Or at least not really moving around much at all. That's kind of a unique setting. Yeah, I don't know what uh, kind of medication he was on. Maybe that either helped or made it worse. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, the boys didn't have to battle tonight. They just played well from the start and uh, were out in front from the beginning and held on to it. So maybe that made it a little easier for him to watch. Well, and the boys, welcome back. One of the boys, Jordy Mercer, is back with the Nationals. And Jordy Mercer played a role in the Nationals' offensive success in this game on Tuesday night. Mercer in that Nats' four-run eighth inning, drawing a pinch, bases loaded walk for a 5-2 Nationals lead. So the Nats on Monday reinstated Mercer from the 10-day injured list. It's easy to forget, like, okay, when did he exactly get put on that 10-day IL? So the Nationals on July 24th put Mercer on the 10-day IL, retroactive to July 21st 
with a left calf strain. That was the move that prompted the recalling of Carter Keboom from AAA Rochester. But what's interesting with Mercer is the Nats had just gotten Mercer back off the 10-day IL. He had been on that earlier in July with a strained right quadriceps. Uh, This would seem to have been kind of an Alex Avila situation in which the Nationals took their time. But, you know, this is such a unique September now because rosters don't expand by that much, but also because the guys who the Nationals would have called up in years past already were at the major league level. And so we've barely seen the Nationals call up anyone this month. And the people who have been added to the Nationals roster, even in this quote-unquote rebuilding phase, have been these 30-somethings, Alex Avila and Jordy Mercer, which to me is so fitting because in this season in which the Nationals have seemingly done nothing but call up 30-somethings from AAA Rochester, the additions in September have been 30-somethings in Alex Avila and Jordy Mercer. Like, I just feel like that is so poetic and so appropriate for the 2021 Nationals. Bizarro September, Al. Yeah. Up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right. Yeah, it's a it's been a strange situation that they're in. And I'll tell you what, to look ahead to Wednesday, we're going to find ourselves at the nexus of the universe because the two starting pitchers are both named Rogers. Okay, I'm on first and first. How can the same street intersect with itself? I must be at the nexus of the universe. Yes, now we like the Nationals Rogers, but we would much prefer to have the Marlins Rogers. Trevor <laughs> Rogers has had a very nice season. Josh Rogers on a good run, so we'll see what he ends up doing. Uh, but yes, it is Rogers versus Rogers. Uh, in this game, a 105 start on Wednesday afternoon for the Nationals. You tell us what you think. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We want to send out uh, some shout outs here. Alan Claffey, I hope I pronounced that right, but uh, he sent us a photo a few days ago of him listening to the Nats Chat Podcast while watching the Nationals game. He said, thanks for keeping me company during a pretty mad game. I love that listening to the pod instead of focusing on the game. That's outstanding, okay? That's a true supporter of the cause that is the Nats Chat Podcast. And then uh, John recently sent us a photo of him wearing the Secret Weapon t-shirt at Nationals Park. So we love it. You send us these photos of you listening to the podcast, wearing a Secret Weapon t-shirt, wearing a Nats Chat Podcast. We will proudly tout you. We will proudly retweet you at Nats underscore Chad. So thank you for the continued support. I got one more for you. Our friend Chandler, who gets up to go to work at 3 a.m. and listens yeah. to us. Yeah, I saw him again during the game. He was in the upper deck right at the end of the game. He yelled up to me. He got a promotion and now has to be there at 2 a.m. So he's getting even less sleep after the games and he's using our podcast to help keep him awake as he gets ready for the job every morning, very early in the morning. Wow. Has he ever told you what he does for a living? I forget what it was. I know he did. And I'm blanking on what it is now. All right. He's not like a Russian spy like Philip and Elizabeth Jennings on the Americans, is he? Because they, they were up at like all hours. I'm just I'm hoping you're not dealing with somebody here who's involved in, uh, in, in something high level. I guess maybe you shouldn't ask those questions. Well, yeah, if he told if he told me, I wouldn't still be alive to discuss this. So you couldn't tell us. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we thank him and we thank everyone for continuing to download and listen to the Nats Chat podcast. You get yourself, by the way, a Secret Weapon t-shirt, a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Here's the wide of the pitch. Swing and a drive hit well. Deep center field. Way back goes Springer to the warning track. Looking up and it is gone. Goodbye. 
bang! Soon goes the Z-Man to the deepest part of Minute Maid Park, just to the left of the batter's eye in center field. Ryan Zimmerman with his second home run of the postseason cuts the Astros' lead in half. It's Houston 2 and Washington 1 on a postseason World Series home run for Ryan Zimmerman.